Welcome everyone to this week's episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me as usual is my fellow very excited about basketball season kicking off this week, friend and co-host, Coles. Hello, everybody. Yes. So we're not going to rush through these to get to the basketball games, but we might rush through these to get to the basketball games. No, we're kidding, <laughs> of course. We're excited to talk about these movies this week. Here on FF4+, uh, Plus, our format's pretty straightforward. We'll talk about what we like, what we don't like, and then we will give you a recommendation about whether we think a movie is worth your time and your money. That's it. Simple, short, and spoiler-free. The first film that we are going to discuss tonight is actually the biggest hitter, I would say, of our group that is the most well-known for everybody, and that is The French Dispatch. It stars a whole lot of people that you've probably heard of. Benicio Del Toro, Adrian Brody, Tilda Swinton, Lea Seydoux, Francis McDormand, Timothy Chalamet, Lena Kudry, Jeffrey Wright, Matthew Umelrich, Stephen Park, Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Liv Schreiber, Edward Norton, Willem Dafoe, Sorcerer Ronan, Elizabeth Moss, Jason Schwartzman, Angelica Houston, and probably more, but that's all I remember. <laughs> it is directed and written by none other than Wes Anderson. What is it about? A love letter to journalists set in an outpost of an American newspaper in a fictional 20th century French city that brings to life a collection of stories published in the French Dispatch magazine. And I think that that description is about as good as you could possibly do to try and express what it is you're going to see on screen. It, this is really hard, I think, for people to, to, for us to explain in a way that people can fully grasp what they're going to get into, Coles. Uh Obviously, we'll do our best. So um, what have you got in your likes about this one? The visual language when it comes to any Wes Anderson film is definitely the big player. That's what you're mostly going to be looking for. His style is impeccable and unique. And this film is just like many of the others if you have seen his filmography in that same vein. I mean, you're going to get a lot of aspect ratio that changes very often. You're going to get a lot of zooms, a lot of close-ups. You're going to get almost like a square sense of framing. You're going to get that 4-3 aspect ratio, which brings you back to almost the silent film era. And then you're going to have times where the live action would be there, then all of a sudden it would change right to animation, and then it would go back to live action. It feels like Wes Anderson is playing with the idea of what a film can be, and I love that. I mean, me being a weird guy, that speaks to me, <laughs> and I was feeling it the whole time, and especially the when the color changes from when there's a big base of color that's dominating one scene, and then all of a sudden you get a scene that goes straight to black and white, and it's wild it's almost like your mind is on lsd but you kind of roll with the roller coaster <laughs> that's one thing the performances a few of the performances that really stood out to me were benicio del toro um timothy leah uh lay that's her name right leia lay i honestly don't know I'll, I'll say lay i mean this is a woman who i just remembered as one of the daughters from inglorious bastards and now she has she she's on the middle of a hot streak, you know. She has this, and now and she also has no time to die in the theater. So she's having a good run. Adrian Brody was also great in his little small role. Then you have Edward Norton and Francis McDormand, and this whole cast is all buys in. 
to this story. They have the little weird quirks, especially with their characters, and they are able to play it out very well. The story, I would say that I do like the anthology method of telling the story. I do like that there are different stories that come from this magazine. You kind of get a description of this town in, in France, but there's an American magazine. So you get a lot of that Americanism inside the story, but you also are dealing with the French culture and blending them together. And it makes for a weird concoction. But the stories, they have a lot of humor. There's a lot of different twists and turns and just a lot of things that really go against what a standard story would be. I mean, I, I would say that the biggest example would be the first story that deals with this prisoner who is in jail. He's a murderer and he's a deviant, but he's very talented at making art and these weird Jackson Pollock kind of inspired paintings and everything, which is the joke, the butt of the joke is that pretty much he's essentially just painting nothing, but everybody's critiquing it as art because that's what art is nowadays. You can pretty much almost do anything and it could be considered some kind of art, some kind of thing that voices the culture. And there's this prison guard, which is, play, which is played by Lay, who is very sensitive. You kind of see her in this prison warden outfit and you don't think you're going to really get much from her, but just being something to look at. But over, throughout the story you kind of get this personal antidote about her and how she is dealing with pain and loss and how she really sees the humanity in this criminal and this criminal able to make paintings out of concrete. It's like I said, it's so wackadaisical and it's kind of something that shouldn't work, but it does work if you're able to buy in. I say that this, most of the benefits of this film comes if you are used to Wes Anderson. If you have never seen a Wes Anderson film before and you pop this on, this is something that's going to feel foreign to you and you're kind of not going to be able to buy in. Yeah. So I'm glad that you had a lot of positive things to say about this, honestly, um, <laughs> because <laughs> I don't, but I, I will, obviously we like positivity. And so I, I do want to say, I can echo some of the things you said. Some of the performances are very good for what they are being asked to do. I mean, I, I I can not like and enjoy the characters, but also recognize the talent. And that's the thing. Wes Anderson like has so much talent in this that even these big name actors, Sorsha Ronan is in this movie for like two scenes and three minutes was disappointing. Very disappointing to me, but she's like awesome in her three. You know what I mean? She's, she's still Sorsha Ronan. She still commands your attention in the screen. And there's something interesting to me about seeing actors who you are used to completely carrying a film on their own, just be in this like tiny little bit role. So that was intriguing to me. Yes, it, it's Wes Anderson and it looks phenomenal. I, I, I can't help but enjoy the, like, I love how you put that, the visual language of the film. You know, my big thing with Wes is show me your symmetry and it's full of symmetry. I love the symmetrical nature of the way he frames shots. It's it's, in, it's interesting to me. Even when I don't give a crap about what's going on, I like seeing the color popping off the screen and and it, it looks like a candy store, you know, uh, but with like beautiful cinematography. I, there's something that is appealing from an eye standpoint. And, and also it has a nice little perky, bouncy score that I enjoy. So, you know, it's very whimsical in tone with that. It's Wes Anderson, like it, it's very Wes Anderson. And so 
if you enjoy the way his films look and sound, you will enjoy that part of this much like I did. Now, I do want to transition and I will tell you why this didn't work for me at all. So I am, was, I guess, a Wes Anderson stand to a point. Like I was never one of the like hardcore. I was never a, everything Wes Anderson's made is five stars. In fact, I thought most of what Wes Anderson had made in the recent years was like four stars to me. It's really above average, really good. I, I own quite a few films. I love Isle of Dogs. I love Fantastic Mr. Fox. I love Grand Budapest Hotel. I love Moonrise Kingdom. I love Darjeeling Unlimited. I love Life Aquatic, right? His older stuff, which was even more quirky, are the lesser ones for me, like Rushmore and the the Tenenbaums. Like some of those, like I didn't actually care for those. This felt more to me like those in a lot of ways. Look, I agree with you, Kales. The anthology is a super cool idea. Like to take a magazine and literally tell these three big stories as if they were sections in a magazine. But the fact that it's a French magazine allows Wes to be so over the top pretentious. And I don't like using that word because it gets overused by film critics in, in, in a negative way. But this is one of the only movies I've ever seen that I legitimately can look at and be like, that is a dude high on his ego who is trying to be so highbrow and appeal to such a niche, like piece of American, French, whatever community that 90% of people are not going to get it and they're not going to care and they're not going to be entertained. And it's like, what the heck is the point? So I'm in that group. And I, and I think that, you know, I was, I felt good, honestly, because there were quite a few of our film critic um, fellows from Seattle who I expected to love this because it's Wes Anderson and they came out feeling the same as I did. I was just so let down, man. The stories themselves, I did not feel any cohesiveness to them. They are so whimsical and so just nonsensical in almost every single way that I could not find any way to connect to this intellectually and I couldn't connect to it emotionally which made for a very like bland and I was literally checking my watch, bro. Like I was like, when is this going to end? And that is a horrible feeling. And you don't expect that going into a movie from a director that you, you pretty much love. Right? So I did, I honestly, I, I'm, I don't want to sugarcoat it. I didn't enjoy myself at all. It's my least favorite Wes Anderson film by a good margin. I don't plan to ever watch it again. And I think that it is so obtuse that it is inaccessible for the vast majority of audience members. I can agree with you on the aspect of the narrative as far as following this newspaper, this newspaper and this magazine. I thought that we were going to get more backstory and more time with the characters outside of the anthology stories i thought that we were going to have more bill murray i thought that we were going to have more elizabeth moss i thought we were going to have more of these characters that we were seeing who are typing and who are behind these stories but you only get a select few you're only going to get francis mcdormand you're only going to get jeffrey wright and sad to say both of their stories that take place after the first one and i would say the first story with benicio del toro and leia is the only good story of this film Everything else, you're kind of just 
depending on the style to carry you through. Like the next story, when we deal with Timothy and Francis McDormand, it just deals with a student rebellion that's going on a, amongst the city. And really, I kind of forgot it. Like as soon as it ended, I kind of just didn't even care about it anymore. Like what what is the purpose of it? There are so many things in this film that you know, you understand that it's supposed to be standalone stories, but what is the purpose of these stories? What are they supposed to tell you? Are they supposed just to be there to be entertaining, to be funny? Are they, Is this supposed to be mostly a majority of comedy or is it supposed to be a drama? It doesn't really know how to make up its mind. And from the Wes Anderson films I have seen, he likes the genre mix. And I, and I acknowledge that. I acknowledge that he likes to mix up a lot of genres. But this film... It feels like it's trying so hard to be a comedy that at times when the jokes come in, they're not that funny. I mean, I was in the audience. I was laughing more than most of the other people around me. Like, everybody else around me only heard a few laughs throughout the whole runtime. I guess I, I guess for me, me not being as much of a Wes Anderson guy, I'm not really used to his style, which I hope to get better at over the coming months when I dive into his films. It's just honestly a film that really doesn't have significance outside of it being a Wes Anderson film, if I could say that. <laughs> I mean, honestly, when you, when we, if this is a film that you're going to watch and then after you, and after you, the credits roll, what are you going to take away from it? I mean, it feels like um, almost like a Saturday night special, like something that comes on a CBS or a Fox on Saturday night. There's nothing else to watch and it's kind of weird and it really goes left field. Then this is the kind of film for you. And if you're all about style being more the substance, this is a film for you. But if not, it really does seem to drag in the middle and the latter half. And there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no value to take away from it. There's no value I can't take away from this, like I could take away from Isle of Dogs or Fantastic Mr. Fox or even a film like Bottle Rocket, <laughs> which you consider one of the lesser films. I could take something more away from that than something like this. Not to take away that it is a really good film. And it's very trippy and very eye-catching to watch. But at the end of the day, what is it outside of that? It's empty. It's empty. It is empty. It is pretentious <laughs> and empty. I'm sorry, but it is. Like, it, it, you're right. I mean, like, there, I'm sure that there is an intent for emotional connection for each of those stories. But the way he tells them does not really create that in the viewer, I don't think. And so... Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned the Timothy Chalamet one that is like, it's so, like, <laughs> I mean, it's riffing on all kinds of stuff. There's Les Mis stuff in there, which I actually thought was kind of cute because I love Les Mis, but it's just, yeah, I, I'm i ready to be done with it. I was, I was fearing this podcast. I just wanted to get over with, but the movie is out October the 22nd. It will be in theaters. Coles, go to the theater, rent it when it comes out on home video or skip it all together. I'll divide it into two sections. If you are a Wes Anderson stan, which Aaron, he's clearly um, is backing away from. If you are a Wes Anderson stan, then go watch this in the theater. <laughs> I mean, there is a whole lot of style. There is a good, there's a good bit of laughs enough to leave you over. And the cast of characters, I mean, these, this is going to be among a lot of people's favorite actors and actresses to watch. So go watch that. If you are not a Wes Anderson fan, then wait for this to come out on demand and if you're curious about it just still wait uh it, it, this is only a film for the serious wes anderson fans i feel 
I agree. I agree. If you have a humongous ego and you read lots and lots of classical literature <laughs> for fun because you want to be able to quote Vonnegut or, you know, Tolstoy and like reference him <laughs> in relation to your everyday life situations, then maybe this is the movie for you. If you read French magazines and enjoyed them, if you like The New Yorker, these these are the kind of people this movie is for. If you're all of those things and you love Wes Anderson's style and film, then you might enjoy this. And you if you should definitely see it in a theater because it's gorgeous. Like it is beautiful to look at. So that aspect does remain. But I think for like I said, 75-80% of potential film goers, and that includes most of Wes Anderson's normal fans, I think that this is going to be a complete waste of their time and their money. And I would say skip it altogether. Just it is not the one for you. It's not like the others. The story is not there in the way that the Achilles said it perfectly. It just doesn't have it. That that thing that you remember, that message, that connecting point that you will get more out of that experience. You will leave it going, okay, maybe it was cool to look at, but why? And, and I think you should just save your money. And with that, we will move on. And we will talk about the next film on our list, which is Mass. This film stars Reed Burney, Ann Dowd, Jason Isaacs, and Martha Plimpton. It is directed by Fran Kranz and also written by Fran Kranz. This is his directorial debut, and you probably have no idea who Fran Kranz is, but he was Marty the Stoner in The Cabin in the Woods. And I want you to keep that in mind when we start discussing this film, because that is wild. What is it about? The parents of a victim of a school shooting meet face to face with the parents of the perpetrator. So I'm going to start us off here with our likes, Coles. This is a film that's been getting a lot of praise from fellow critics, and I think it debuted at Sundance or somewhere, and it, and it did very, very well. Um, and it's a movie that is built on the strength of its four performances. It is all about this staged meeting of these two couples in a small church in a rural area. They come together, they sit at a table, and 90% of the movie is the two of them across from the other two of them talking and working through their feelings about this event that took place. I want to say it was like a couple it's been a few years since it actually happened. So they, this is not like right after the event took place, right? There's been some healing. And what I really loved about this is I like stage plays turned into a cinematic feel. There's something about the power of the acting that really shines here because you're stripping away all of you. There's no CGI. There's no action. There's nothing on the screen to distract you from the emotionality of the character that is being portrayed to you. The way that these, t these parents are going through grief and anger and, and pain and just all of these feelings that they have pent up. And I'll honestly say that it is really affecting because we have such a problem with gun control in the country, right? And we have these school shootings that occur all the time. And for once, this feels like you get a genuine, it's like you're watching and you shouldn't be, like you're a voyeur, like you're 
you're peeking through, uh, you know, a window and, and with your ear up to the wall and you're, you're not supposed to be there, but you're hearing something so raw and so honest and sincere and genuine that's coming from these people. And these are the, they, they come up, the way the screenplay works, is they talk about stuff that like you don't even think about typically. When we see another school shooting, 15 died, we've become, I don't want to say desensitized to it, but it's become so normal. It's not like we don't grieve for those, but there's no way you can understand or I could understand what it would be like to be in the shoes of a parent on either side. And that is what makes it so fascinating is not just hearing from the parent that lost the child, but seeing the parents of the child who committed the crime have to reckon with that and, and watching this balancing act of darn near hatred and then empathy, like shifting back and forth and, and the humanity of these couples trying to see each other and, and see each other's pain individually that they went through. It's beautiful. And it is really harrowing stuff. It's a hard watch. It is, um, you know, gut wrenching. And at the end, you're going to be like exhausted emotionally and, and you're going to want to kind of take a break, but hopefully it's the kind of thing that will stick with you when these things happen again, inevitably, like maybe a little heightened understanding of what it's like the movie is never preachy and i appreciated that as well it's not like they come down and they're like yeah we're anti-gun control if if your kids didn't if your kid didn't have guns if there were laws your kid would have never done this no we never go there right that's not what it's trying to do if that's your takeaway that's totally fine like if you, if you feel that way but that's not what the characters in the movie are doing so it, it was just a really incredible acting display and a topic that I feel like we've never experienced quite like this before. Never seen it discussed quite like that before. And I was blown away by that part of it. Jason Isaacs, Ann Dowd, Martha Plimpton, and Reed Burning. They don't feel like actors to me in this film. And what I mean is that if you take away the first 15 minutes and the last few minutes of this film and you only show this conversation between these four actors, it feels like a documentary. It feels like that these are real people that have gone through something like this. I don't know how they all did it. I don't know what kind of work they did to prepare themselves for this role, but they clearly did their homework because it feels authentic, scarily authentic. This movie it's harrowing it, and it's depressing. Like there are times, there are times where many people are going to get close to crying and probably literally cry. Just seeing these people being able to exercise out this anger, this rage, this grief, this regret, seeing the two parents on the side that lost the kid and seeing the two parents on the other side, they lost the kid too. Both sides lost somebody, but often in the media, what we get is that we're focused on the victims we focus on the perpetrator and that's all it is. But when it comes to the families of the perpetrators who may have committed crime and they kill themselves, they often get demonized. They often get blamed for it. You know, because you can't blame the person who did it because they're gone. So they go after the parents. And this film does a good job of showing you that, no, these parents, they're not to blame. It's not their fault. I mean, unless there was something going on in the household, but... What I get from this film is that these parents, they did the best they could 
You know, it's not like when you're, it's not like you're a parent, you have a child, you have it all figured out. No, you're constantly learning. <laughs> you know, most parents don't even know what they're doing. They're just doing the best they can. And these parents did. And their kid ended up doing a terrible thing. And no matter how many times they admit it, no matter how many times they say it, they know that forever that's going to be something that sticks with them. And for the for the parents that lost the kid, they'll never get over that. There's no getting back their son ever again. But what I do like is that they're trying to find peace. They're trying to find a way to move on and not let this rage and anger consume them and just fill them up with hate and fill them up with a, a unwillingness to live life anymore. I, I, I like the strength that is portrayed in this film. I like the way that we're able to have a genuine conversation. You know, because you, like you said, these are hot button issues. Gun control, mental health. You know, if we get down anybody, pull them off the street, and we have both sides talking, due to how divided we are at this moment, there's going to be a lot of screaming and pointing fingers and people just, ah, but in this film, you actually see people who are willing to sit down and listen to the other side. And this is what we need right now, not just for the country, but for us in our everyday lives. I mean, how oftentimes do we, we accidentally, we may not even realize we're doing it, but we're shutting down people for different opinions that they have from each other or only consider ourselves right because of what side we're on. No, we got to get rid of that. We got to be willing to look at the other side. We got to be willing to see other people as not our enemies, but as one of us. And that, yes, we all make mistakes. We, there are things that's going to happen that we can't take back that's out of our control. And there honestly are no answers. This film also tells you that for many of these mass shootings, people try to find the answers. They try to figure out why. Why was this done? Absolutely. But most of the time, there is no answer. And you know what? That's fine. As long as you, because some things in life are not meant to be explained. That's just the way it is. You, you just got to. It's all about how you react to it, how you're able to not make the same mistakes or not be able to judge yourself by it for the rest of your life. And this film is magnificent in, you know, in the writing and the direction of it in that aspect. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it's going to be a big player. It's going to have several awards and acting categories. It'll definitely be uh, nominated for its screenplay. I would ex assume as well when it comes to the Oscars um, or at least highly in contention for those there are some things that hold me back. I've seen a lot of people who have this as like their number one, number two of the year. I can't quite get there. I think as much as I personally love a stage play turned cinematic, I can compare this to other movies in the similar vein, like a Fences or The Father, which we saw last year. There is much more of a flair to those movies that treat them as interesting, you know, so Franz made very distinct choices not to add anything, right? He he was going to stay in the room for the most part of this movie and stick to that. And I think that that works both in a positive way at times, but also overall in a negative way, because it's a super long movie. It's, it's much longer, feels much longer than you might expect it to. And it's lengthened by this early sequence that lasts maybe 15 minutes before we even get the two families in the room that I didn't feel like added a lot of value. And then it's bookended by another little sequence after they're out of the room that I also didn't feel like added a lot of value. I understood the purpose of those sections in the movie. You know, it was all about seeing how people around those who are grieving try to act, but 
that's not the meat of this. And because everything in the middle is like nothing is going on except you're hearing them talk in the room and it's so heavy, it just felt long to me. And I, I think it could have been tightened up and just, you know, really focused on them. I, I agree like with his choices not to make it bombastic. I don't, this is, this is my struggle. I don't think that if he would have made this cinematically exciting in any way with different camera angles or like editing cuts and things, I don't think that would have helped this story. But it also becomes harder to stick with because you don't have any of that stuff at the same time because it's just them sitting there talking. And so I can understand how that's going to be tougher for a lot of viewers. And, you know, I just got a mixed feelings on it. So I love it overall, by all means, like one of my favorites of the year. It's just that those are the things that held me back from thinking it was like a masterpiece. Usually for me, films that take place in one setting is something that I can appreciate and that I probably will have a lot of fun, a lot of fun and a lot of respect for. But ultimately, there aren't films I can't go back to to rewatch. I mean, there's nothing dynamic except in the dialogue and the conversation between these people. But once again, that's all you have. I mean, you're in this building, in this room for most of your runtime. And sometimes you can appreciate the conversation that's going on and the importance of it. But other times you're kind of wanting to like, okay, can I get up and stretch myself and, you know, move my arms around and do, and do something else? Like I'm a person that likes to go places when it comes to a film. I, I don't like to be in the same place um, for the whole time if I can help it. So in the same vein of offenses of a Ma Rainey's Black Bottom of these films that are just essentially play films, like I can appreciate the writing and the meaning and the significance, but at the end of the day, they're not particularly memorable to me. And I would say that the performances are what's going to be the guiding force for this film and the discussion. But at the end of the day, it's not something that I'm going to go back to, but it's something I can respect if that makes sense. Yep, absolutely. It does. And, you know, for folks who are interested in this, it'll be in theaters on October the 22nd. I'm going to give you my recommendation. I don't see this as a theater type of film for me, and I don't think it's one that folks really need to make an effort to get out to. You know, again, I'm torn. We talk about this all the time. You want to support the things you want with your money because that's what helps get them made. And so obviously this is an awards worthy type of movie. And so if you go see it in a theater, you're going to help show them that by voting with your dollar. That being said, experience wise, I'm just being honest, you know, it's perfectly fine at home. It works great. There's literally nothing cinematic about it. And so I don't see the need, you know, maybe if you have like a little indie theater that's really, you know, got that little artsy flair to it that makes you feel like you're at a film festival when you're watching it, that might be cool to go and see it in that. But, you know, if you're going to your AMC or your Regal, it's going to feel weird to me to go sit in a movie theater and watch this, to be honest. And I would say just wait and watch it at home. What about you? You said it perfectly. I feel the exact same. This is a pain. This is a hair. Like I said, this is a film that is going to inspire you to cry. And I don't know about you, but unless it's something like a superhero film or an action film or uh, or another film that can make you have those feelings, a film like this is better experience at home <laughs> where you're able to do it in private. 
uh, this is a film I don't think that is meant to be like a big screen experience. This is something that's very intimate. This is something that is very closed in. So take it, take it into the bedroom or the living room. It would do well right there as well. Excellent. Yeah. So same page right there for both of us. Last but not least, we have the newest WB DC animated film. It is one we were looking forward to and it is called Injustice. It is based on the Injustice comic books. And then also follow on, there were the Injustice, a couple of video games, fighting video games as well, that have also been based on the same uh, source material. This stars the voices of Justin Hartley, Anson Mount, Laura Bailey, Zach Callison, Brian T. Delaney, Brandon Michael Hall, Edwin Hodge, Oliver Hudson, Jillian Jacobs, Derek Phillips, Kevin Pollack, Anika Noni Rose, Reed Scott, and more. It is directed by Matt Peters, and it was written by Ernie Altbacher and Ian Rogers, and based on the same comics uh, of the same name, rather, by Tom Taylor. What's it about? On an alternate Earth, the Joker tricks Superman into killing Lois Lane which causes a rampage in the hero. Superman decides to take control of Earth. Batman and his allies will also have to stop him. All right. Coles, what did you have experience-wise with this source material going into this, if any? When I hear the word injustice, I think of the video games. <laughs> uh, the DC animated video games where you get to fight with these these famous DC characters almost like a Mortal Kombat. That's the only experience I have. I've heard that there is source material that deals with the injustice story, but I've never read it or even seen it in film form until now. Okay, so I haven't read the comics myself either, and I, I do have experience with the video games uh, as well. So I just wanted to kind of frame it for our thoughts in case people were what they were expecting us to be kind of comparing it to. Well, what did you like about this one? The idea of a person taking all of the roles of judge, jury, executioner into one and them being the hair, the all seeing security of the world. This is something that's been dealt with in comic books before. Uh, one notable example would be Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Uh, that dealt with a surveillance state and how it's dangerous that yes by all means heroes they could they are there to protect the the planet but when you have these guys with these amazing powers that are just choosing who to punish and not believing in a justice system and taking all that into their own hands dangerous things can happen and we see this with superman that a tragic event happens to him and Instead of him being able to rationalize it and be able to go by the legal means of getting somebody to pay to pay for the wrongful act, he decides to take it into his own hands. And it opens up a slippery slope to where he has this ideology to where he can just punish anybody he wants to just because he's Superman, just because he has all these powers, just because he stands up for these so-called good virtues and for being a good person. He's able to pretty much be judgmental on everybody on everybody in the world like there's a scene in this film where they build up this cyborg superman who is there to pretty much surveillance and be security in this town and they spot somebody littering trash and they pretty much identify in littering litter that loitering that's a crime but what the cyborg does is that it essentially blows up this person's car 
for dropping a piece of tr- uh, trash on the ground that he attended during the trash can. I mean, it, it's, it's almost like cruel and unusual punishment, <laughs> but you have it in this comic book sense where you have these heroes who can go around, they have laser vision, they have super strength, they have super speed. Like, it's not like the police officers that we see on the on the daily. Like, police officers, they are... Their duty is to protect the streets. They are protect, protect people from bad people. That's their job. But what if the police were able to be unstoppable? If there was no stakes, if there was no way their life could be threatened, then they have, they're almost like a god. They have this power to pretty much do whatever they want with no checks and balances. And this film warns us against that. It warns us against a society that is growing increasingly since the days of 9-11 of surveilling surveilling people everywhere they go being able to bug them being able to tap their phones being able to con- like be able to um gather up all these fouls on people and they're not aware of it like many people do not know that they're being spied on that their cell phone pretty much can tell can tell anybody in the world whether at a certain time like this is a surveillance state a police state and this film warns against that it warns that if we allow for people to just start making up the rules when it comes to justice. If the criminal justice system becomes something that everybody stops believing in, then we're going to have anarchy. We're going to have chaos. We're going to have problems. I think that is the best thing that this film can do is by giving that message. Also, this plays into my negatives as well, but it was good to see a lot of the big famous DC characters. Um, a lot of these characters that we don't get to see in a film that often. We get to see Plastic Man. We see We get to see Captain Adam. Uh, we get to see Black Mantra. We get to see the Justice League. We get to see Batman and Superman. No matter what, it's always great to see these characters in a DC animated film. And also, it was good to see Joker and Harley Quinn. But also, when we get into the dislikes, I'll explain more why these rogue gallery of characters is also a bit deficit. Yeah, so I, I liked it. Uh, I, you know, I have some negatives as well, as but I think in general, the story itself, which is what you seem to have resonated with, is the whole reason that injustice is interesting. It's the idea that the most powerful superhero in the known universe, what happens if he decides to go rogue? What happens if he wants to just do it all on his own and you have to find a way to control him? It's why I've always loved the Dark Knight Returns storyline as well, because it deals with Batman trying to find a way to take out Superman or control Superman. And this is a very similar kind of story. And it will always be fascinating to watch Superman stop living with checks and balances and just doing whatever he wants to do. Because it is a reminder of his vast power and how much he holds back. Like when he starts killing villains in this movie and that's one of the things i do like is like you actually get some deaths in this to make it feel like the stakes are there so he's killing folks and it's instantaneous and it's almost jarring because you you think of you know decades of history watching or reading and playing games with these comic characters and they always just fight 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 and then they separate and they come back and they fight 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 and they separate and then in this movie it's like superman is like one punch man and like you're dead <laughs> that's it it's over right and watching that happen is always interesting and then watching 
the Justice League and Batman trying to rally support and what and seeing the the various members of the league kind of shift their allegiances right and choose which side they want to be on it's very much like the civil war in the marvel universe as far as the characters kind of falling on a different side of this whole situation and which way they think that their superheroing should go and you get this storyline that is also interesting of you know dick and nightwing two of Batman's protégés, one who really follows Superman's lead and believes in his ideals, and the other one who thinks that what Batman uh, is wanting to do is the right way to go. And you see a lot of family drama in there that takes place that I really enjoyed quite a bit. I think the humor's pretty good in this. I liked it. I thought it was uh, funny. I thought it was highly enjoyable uh, as for the most part just watching through it's a breezy you know 70 minutes there's a lot of action the set pieces are are exceptional um it, it's good it, it's it's overall a decent to good adaptation of this material my dislikes stem largely i'm going to put out the big one for me and the big one for me is that the main source material and the video games direction is all stems from this idea that there is a multiverse and that Batman has to go into the multiverse to get alternate versions of the DC superheroes to help fight this Superman and the, the, the heroes that he has recruited onto his side. This movie touches on that and there is a small amount of this movie where this takes place but it is not the core of the story in the same way that it is in the source material and i missed that because i think that it really took out the scale of of what this whole scenario could be it lessened it for me i think that the voice acting was okay. I think it was solid, but they they changed a whole bunch of the voices from the characters you've ever heard voice these specific heroes before. And while they did all right, there's nothing connecting you to them from before. I think that the animation is interesting when it's in action, but the character models are awful. I think that they all look like they are roided out. It's very weird. It's, Coleste is agreeing with me right now. It is very strange. I mean, you are talking like, dude, Wonder Woman looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger it, it, with like a small head and like this gigantic torso and arm. Like it is very weird. It's just, when you see it, you'll understand. If you've watched the trailer, maybe you know, but like it was, it took me out of almost every scene because I was like, why do you all look like this? Overall, man, I just, I, I wanted, this material is so rich and it is, it has so much depth to it. And it's, it's the same thing we're seeing with a lot of DC animated film adaptations lately. It's fast forwarded it, it is all I can tell you is they, they, they have to shortcut it to fit it into 70 minutes. And you don't really get to see the depth within each of the characters and what they go through. This would have absolutely slayed 
as a series of like, you know, even six to 10 episodes or something like a limited series, this would have been absolutely amazing. And you could have done so much more with it from the storytelling perspective and use the multiverse in the way that people are used to and expecting. It just doesn't quite cut it when you condense it into this 70 minute runtime and change things to make it all work because Superman's arc and what he is experiencing and going through, you really need to let that breathe more to have it hit home in the way that it's intended to. Some, this film smells to me like fan service in a lot of ways. I mean, it's good to see a lot of the characters that we don't often see in DC films, but it, but also there's too many of them. Like it's too many of them to keep track. And just like you put it, it distracts away from the original story that we start off with, which is Superman losing Lois and losing, losing his unborn child. That should be something that takes onus over everything and how it drives this man to go on a rampage to become this guy who is rogue and now wants to be in control and be able to punish whoever he wants to punish out of anger, out of unresolved revenge. And we get Plastic Man, we're getting all of these people in there and it feels like it's supposed to be something that's supposed to be for the fans and having them to be distracted by all of these different faces and names and it feels just very out of touch, especially to the dramatic angle of the story. I didn't like the way that they use Nightwing in this film. For one, he's not in there a lot. And when they do use him, they use him in the form of a Deutsch Ex Machina, especially by the end of the film, which really just annoys me. It annoys me when characters are just used to help other characters when they're about to fall victim to their choices or when they do something that could result in them getting killed, then the character comes in there and just saves them all of a sudden. That's essentially what Nightwing is. The voice acting is weird. <laughs> I felt the same way. I wasn't able to grow a connection to a Batman, to a Superman, and the most egregious example of this was the character Harley Quinn. <laughs> First of all, what is Harley Quinn even doing in this film? <laughs> I, I thought that she would just be in the beginning and it would be over for her. But no, she gets to tag along with Batman and Catwoman and Arrow and she gets to help along with this mission. And it's like, why? She's Harley Quinn. In <laughs> uh, the voice, it feels like it's a Harley Quinn impression instead of a real Harley Quinn. Like someone thought in their mind that this is how Harley Quinn is supposed to sound like and I'm just going to do it. It doesn't feel like a unique take on the character. And it grows a bit tiring by the end. Also, <laughs> the character models, like you said, I was sitting back and I was looking at Joker and I was like, is Joker doing both legs? Is Joker <laughs> is Joker about to be in a bodybuilding competition? Because he has some really broad shoulders. Like my dude looked like he could have played free safety in the NFL. <laughs> he looked like he could have um, like line up behind the six and get you with a hit stick real quick. Batman looks very weird. He looks like he's on the, on the needle with steroids. Superman looks roided up. Wonder Woman, I mean, even the even the Flash and Green Lantern is like, why are all these people just <laughs> 270 pounds and just bulky? Like, it, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel real. It feels like someone just wanted to have all these superheroes look like what your typical serial, superhero would look like. And they don't have any distinctive traits outside of their powers. Like physically, they just all look the same. And it's very weird. <laughs> And at the end of the day, this is another DC animated film to where the action 
is cardboard box <laughs> quality. Like the hand-to-hand compact, when we see Batman fight, I'm supposed to feel the punch. I'm supposed to feel the rage. I'm supposed to get the acrobatics and the stylish aspects of his fighting and the way he dismantled enemies. You don't get any of it. Un- any of that. It feels like like those Sockham those Sockham robots where you punch one, you keep punching, doom, 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 like uppercuts, uppercuts until someone's neck comes up. That's what the fighting in this film feels like. <laughs> Outside of a few explosions and some pretty crazy set pieces, there's nothing to speak of about the action. And this is another DC animated film where they don't do a really good job in that department. And I'm kind of hoping to see something like the Flashpoint Paradox where... There is action, but the story is the treasure of the film. Not depending on having to see different different characters and having to have this nice transfer of animation and just seeing Batman and Superman, like that's not enough. Like there needs to be more put in to these films so that they can get to the stature that they need to be. DC has so much potential. Their animated films are usually great. This film is good. But it's a lost opportunity, especially given the source material it comes from. Yeah, that's exactly right. And last but not least, when it comes to the special features on the disc version of this, so there is a 30-minute kind of roundtable between the director, the writers, uh, the producers, and they do talk quite a bit about the changes that they made and their reasons for making them and why... Superman kills who he kills in the beginning of this movie, as well as like how they view the ideological differences between Batman and Superman and their points of view throughout the film and what is causing the conflict. So it's fairly interesting, I would say. Other than that, you get yet again uh, a couple of trailers for older DC Universe movies. And then you get a couple of episodes of this time, it's Justice League. Uh, you get Injustice for All Parts 1 and 2, the the actual old TV show episodes of this, which are just as good, in my opinion, honestly, as this whole film is, if not better. That being said, you know, the 30-minute roundtable is, I guess, a bonus. Like, that's more than they have been giving recently, but they're still just super lacking when it comes to special features on these discs that they're putting out and they're, they're making so many of these movies every year. Coles, I think this is what the issue is. It's like they're pumping these out at a rate of, I mean, they're showing up on my doorstep so fast. And I, I think this is maybe four or five in the DC universe just for this year. And that's not counting like the mortal Kombat stuff, but in the night of the animated dead or whatever, it's just, I think that they're trying to go too fast. Like, there is so much potential if you slow down, make these things into their own little connected universe, keep them consistent with each other, and really pack out the disc releases and make it worth it for folks. I, the value just is not there if you're buying a 70-minute movie to, like, you're not getting anything extra hardly for it. And I think that that needs to change, but... We'll see. I mean, it's fun. It's a good, it's good to watch. And and so it'll be available on, oh, it is available now on 4K Ultra HD combo pack, Blu-ray, and also on video on demand. My advice is don't buy it and wait to rent it because I don't think that it's one that you're going to necessarily want to watch over and over and over. But that's just my opinion, obviously. Um, Where do you land on that? Do you say 
buy it on on digital, rent it, buy it on disc? What are you thinking? This is a nice rental, which is more than you can say for a lot of films. It's not something that would be a valuable addition to anybody's collection, whether you collect physical media or whether you buy film on iTunes or Voodoo. This is a good rental to have. Awesome. Well, that is it for us this week on the old podcast. If you affect anything that you are intrigued by, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Feelin' Film and at Black Nerd Magic. And you can also find us in the Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group where we talk movies each and every day. You can come be a part of that awesome community and join us there. We would love that. There's a link in the show notes. Until next week, keep Feelin' Film. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. But be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.